The ancestors they sing to me like a siren song. The ancestors they call my name all the whole day long. The ancestors they sing to me in a siren song. The strings of hope they cling to me and they make me strong. Welcome to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast with Alex Dean and Brian Cunningham. Here we have a drink, have a laugh, and you just might learn something about our favorite stories from history. Please visit our website at hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Cheers. Welcome back, everyone, to the Hidden History Happy Hour. Now, we promised you a full crew this time, and we've doubled it. So we've delivered 200% of your expectations. Hidden History Happy Hour viewers, you may have noticed that our theme song today is not the usual theme song. It is, in fact, a very moving piece of music that relates directly to our guests today, uh, Terry and Jeffrey and their project, and so I urge you to go back and listen to more of it. Alex Dean, my friend, welcome back. Cheers. Cheers. Good to be with you. Uh, champagne for me in uh, the Dean household. When you get married, suddenly the house is full of it. Cheers, everybody. Well, we were told by our expert guests that we should have ardent spirits today. So I have accomplished that. Now, for those of you who don't recognize these two fantastic gentlemen uh, on your screen, you do actually recognize Terry Franklin because he was on almost exactly to the day this time last year, but it was audio only. So this is how Terry looks. And look how well-dressed he is. He's so embarrassing us, right, Alex? All right, Terry, ter great to have you back. Great to have you back. back. Terry, why don't you uh, introduce your collaborator there? I don't mean I'm, that in the French resistance sense. No, in the, in the <laughs> other sense. This is my husband, uh, Jeffrey Moline. Uh, hey, Jeffrey. My artist collaborator on many of my activities. So, cheers and congratulations Great on uh, having you with us. Putting up with Terry, very, very, uh, very impressive. So, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, <laughs> it's an ugly job, but it has to be done. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get to the exciting projects that Terry and Jeffrey are working on, but a couple of preliminary matters. One, uh, please check in the show notes. Look at our event, Bright Evite for our live episode in London coming up on 23 February, right? If you guys feel free to fly over and join us, if you like, happy to have you there. Our daughter's um, there. The, everyone who signs up via the uh, Evite gets a signed copy of Alex's book, if you bring your own book. We're not a profit-making <laughs> show here, if you bring your own copy. Generosity uh, itself. Yes, but everyone should show up whether you bring a book or not. Now, I'm going to reintroduce Terry Franklin because it was almost, as I said, a year ago today when he appeared on the podcast. So excited about what uh, Terry is going to discuss today because I've known about these projects ever since they were just, I don't know, a trial balloon in Terry's mind. And speaking of balloons, Smooth. let's talk about that Chinese spy balloon. Huh? Huh? Now, look. There's a lot of posers on the interweb saying a lot of things that are frankly uh, bravo Sierra, as we used to say in the government. I want to give you an intelligence officer's perspective, and then I want to hear what other people think about it. And here's my perspective. If we were able to block the transmission of any information from the balloon 
back to the People's Republic of China during the time it was over our airspace, and we succeeded in shooting it down and recovering the technology from 47 feet of water in the Atlantic. That's a win, period, full stop, from an intelligence standpoint. However, there is also a propaganda slash political issue here, too, and that is what message does it send the rest of the world? And let's be honest, the West is in a great power competition with the Chinese that they were able to move their balloon all the way across the continental United States, all over sensitive sites without us shooting us down. Again, as a pure intelligence matter, I would say it's still worth it. But Alex, from a political standpoint, how do you see it? Well, um, you've framed the debate in the right way, I think, because on the one hand, I understand President Biden saying, his advisors were saying, wait until it's over somewhere safe to be shot down. It's not getting any more intelligence than it would otherwise have. But on the other hand, it was a grievous invasion of your airspace. Yeah. And, um, you know, some interpretations, an act of war, uh, depending on yeah. what you consider the balloon to be. That's a weird debate to get into. But, you know, what does a balloon constitute um, might be um, such a, an area of discussion. Um, for me, the fact that they were able to do what they did is bad, notwithstanding the fact that it's quite difficult to uh, to speculate about what meaningfully you can obtain from a balloon rather than, say, satellites, which exactly. people are using to spy on each other all the time. Um, that said, um, it's just the latest incursion. Um, many uh, businesses will have visiting dignitary protocols which is a polite way of saying put the computers away when people from certain com countries come around because they stick what we call usb sticks you call thumb drives into computers just to see what they can get you know quite often for example the person on the front desk at a business the receptionist the secretary is the pa to the ceo or at right. least has access to that person's diary and from such small beginnings they are able to hack into a network um this so from the very smallest level of human intelligence to the very most significant level of espionage in the heavens uh, uh, um we are being spied upon by those who wish us ill and the balloon example was simply a more novel uh, and more obvious um, example of that and visual right i mean the american yeah. people could see that and understand it i mean i i'm sure by all accounts the Office of Personnel Management hacked by China during the Obama administration, which took 26 million top secret classified security files, including mine, thank you very much, was a much bigger intelligence coup for the Chinese than this. But right. this is a thing. Like people in Montana could look up and see it and realize it wasn't ours. And on that note, I would just note my favorite uh, internet meme going around about this is a, uh, a headline captioned, uh, spy balloon from germany over milwaukee and it's just a giant stein of beer superimposed <laughs> onto a balloon but terry and jeffrey uh i know you're not steeped in national security but how does this land for you guys as just americans that saw this happening I, you know i guess i probably have too much trust in our uh national intelligence apparatus but i kind of imagine that maybe they knew about it before we knew about it and so you you correct me brian if you think because um it seems to me that we probably had some idea that it was there once it entered our airspace i can't believe that it made it all the way to montana before anybody knew but you tell me um it isn't frightening that it has just come right into our country and right over our heads. But as you say, we're being spied on all the time. So 
I don't know where is the right level of anxiety I should have about this. Well, as we're recording this on 7 February 2023, uh, it's coming out now in dribs and drabs that this is not the first time this has happened. And the most alarming thing about the whole incident for me is a Pentagon official, I forget if they were named or they just were on background, said, yeah, this happened at least a couple of times in the Trump administration, but we had an awareness gap. <laughs> like, I guess if you fly between 50 and 90,000 feet, we're not going to see it. I don't know. That is troubling. And that needs to be looked into. <laughs> but to me, I'm sure they didn't gather anything that they couldn't have gathered from their satellites. So to me, the real question is, you know, they did this. They knew we were going to find out. They did it on the eve of Secretary Blinken's visit. Did they intend this to be a way to show Africa, Latin America, everywhere we're competing, they can do whatever they want? If they did, then I would hope we will be able to marshal the shoot down and the successful recovery of all their stuff as a way to say, ah, you guys aren't so smart right. after all. Well, look, it's it's by it's by no means the weirdest espionage uh, trick in our lifetimes. And it's... Uh, uh, yeah, balloons are pretty conventional. So I haven't written this yet, but it may appear in volume three, should bite back be uh, be willing. Hester uh, three. Hester three. The acoustic kitty campaign by your uh, your organization, CIA, Brian, uh, in the 1960s sent cats that were wired for sound out into the fields around the, uh, I say the field, like the area around the Soviet embassy in the US to try to pick up on the conversations being had by uh, <laughs> Soviet, junior Soviet officials having cigarettes outside and meeting people on park benches. Unfortunately, the first cat they'd wired for sound, they, they, they operated on a cat and put, you know, like uh, receivers in its head and a wire down its back. I'm sure it was quite unpleasant for the That's cat. That's cold. Not as much yeah, as Moscow. Yeah, not as quite quite not Moscow, indeed, Meowskow. Uh, what happened next was they exactly. you released the cat to to go and have a, a snoop around the park, and it probably got run over by a cab. So, you know, hashtag much, release the cats. Yeah, much or, or don't release the cats, in, as it turns out. Um, so, you know, much more rapid uh, resolution than your than balloon gate. But I, I revert to the point: if it was not getting anything then waiting until it's in a safe place to shoot it down is actually quite a calm and sensible thing to have done. It's quite yeah. a mature thing for the administration. And I'm no huge admirer of the, the Biden administration. It seems to me that's a very sensible thing for them to have done. And we're collecting counterintelligence the whole way because we know what it's trying to transmit back. Although, if you want to really is go that, deep is that into definitely, the hall of mirrors... Is that, yeah. huh? is that definitely right that you can... No, because uh, if, if you want to go deep into the hall of mirrors... If we were able to stop them from transmitting and they knew we stopped them from transmitting, they would stop trying to transmit. So I don't know. This will all come out sooner or later. But I want to uh, just pick up on your point, Alex, and then we'll get to Terry and Jeffrey's great uh, musical performance. Another first here on the Hidden History Happy Hour, our first musical performance uh, is in my early days as a CIA officer, we were deeply involved in the negotiations in which the Soviet Union was able to cite to position their new embassy in Washington on what's called Mount Alta, which is the highest point geographically in Washington. This was under Carter. Reagan came in. He ordered the thing torn down. But the interesting thing related to Alex's point is the site was also across the street from one of the bawdiest and most popular, well, how will I say, exotic dancing establishments in the District of Columbia. And so 
you can't imagine the number of CIA officers, I'm not fessing up to this, who put <laughs> on their expense reports. I went to this club. Scouting for KGB I, officers. Now, yeah. I'm not saying that Alex's mention of cats and my mention of a strip club are connected, <laughs> but you can draw your own conclusions. Well, I, look, if you're doing that kind of expense report, you've really got to commit. Because, you know, just going in for one beer is not adequate field work. Not at all. You mean, you've really got to go, you've got to go 10 beers deep in that before you can say you've failed to find a Soviet, haven't you? Excellent surveillance requires persistence. That's all I'm going to say. And I think that's enough on the balloon, except Jeffrey has something on the I balloon. I do. I feel like um, it's interesting that we are being surveilled constantly by corporations who are taking our information and so I feel like people are not really uh, protective of their information. They don't think mm. this thing is going to happen to them and that their information will be out or be used in such a way. Jeffrey, um, we, we are kindred spirits, you and I. I, I agree about these concerns about our, our privacy, not least because in the UK in the last week, we have found out that an arm of our military, which was established in order to... Um, surveil foreign powers for hostile acts has been surveilling domestic political activists um, in on this occasion uh, because they were saying things that were contrary to the government's position on coronavirus policy. Now, whatever you think of my government and whatever you think of my, the government's position on coronavirus, it's plainly wrong for an, um, an arm of the military to be surveilling citizens of our own country and conducting that surveillance in order to, because they people who disagree with the government. One, one by the way, was a sitting member of parliament. Wow. You know, so surveilling the legislature and people who've been elected to, to hold the government to account, they were surveilling people um, because they disagree with government. And we're always assured it's for your own good. Don't question too much. You know, don't, don't you dare. You know your place. It's all for your, your own good. And if we don't watch the watchers, then we will find that our freedoms have been eliminated. And right quick, because people don't ever come to you and say, I'm trying to stamp out free speech. I'm trying to control what people information information people get. They come and say, I'm trying to deal with misinformation. And you would approve of that, wouldn't you? It just so happens that we've labeled this thing that disagrees with government policy misinformation. So uh, mm -hmm. you and I are on the same page, my friend. Next, next thing you know, they're going to send these technologies after how you empty or don't empty your rubbish bins. Yeah, that's, and, a, that's a throwback to a Big Brother Watch campaign more than yeah, 10 and years just ago. Yeah, and just as a reminder to all of our fans who may not have dived deep into Alex's background, Alex and I met because Alex at a very young age was the founder of Big Brother Watch in the UK, a privacy or privacy, depending on how you pronounce it, activist organization. And so Alex is, you know, he's conservative on a lot of things, but he circles around back to the Rand Paul wing when it comes to civil liberties, just by way of background. I know that's a not exactly a, a parallel. Interesting shorthand. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, yeah. just to just to finish that point about what's happened in my country, uh, of course, the 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 killer point is that when asked, because these people thought they were being surveilled by government, right? They asked whether this was happening, and our military and our government lied and lied and lied about it. And that's you know if they if they think they're doing the right thing, and if they believe it's all for your own good, you might speculate as to why they would uh, lie to journalists who are asking uh, about it. And I rather imagine it's because they knew that what they were doing was wrong. And um, of course, in my country, we've got a long history of this stuff, not least revealed by 
Snowden um, in, in what we found out uh, there about mass surveillance of, of people. And the, the interesting thing, Jeffrey, and I don't wonder what you think. The interesting thing for me, though, is I worry more about government than corporations because of the power that government has over us. In like the putting end, you in jail. Yeah, corporations can be um, can can be what they find out about us can be unwarranted, and we may not wish them to have that information. But in, they don't have coercive powers in the same way, and that's why, I, in the end, I still fear the state the most. I think that corporations and the government are kind of working hand in hand with this whole thing. Is what I think. I, I feel like uh, keep people consuming and uh, obfuscating what uh, reality is and, um, and controlling. Well, I'm not so sure about the direct collaboration, but, I, but the point I was going to make, which is sort of the same, is at least in the United States, anything a corporation can collect can be subpoenaed or collected by the government through a proper legal procedure. So this, this sort of division between what Google does and what NSA does always has struck me as well sort of bs because we can get that anyway if we go through the proper legal procedure so the counterpoint to that conversation which with which i have sympathy is that when we saw the internal material from this is before elon musk bought twitter but when we saw the internal conversations that people in the twitter hierarchy were having about your government telling them to shut down accounts because they were saying things government disagreed with. There was at least more pushback amongst the executives on in Twitter, which was by which is an organization that I have all sorts of issues with. But they were at least having a debate about whether or not they should curtail free speech. And that was not the position being taken by yeah. uh, the Biden administration, which was shut down people who take positions contrary to ours on broad areas of public policy, uh, like should we vaccinate or not? Should we... Um, uh, should we shut lockdown and, and shut down the economy or not? Uh, my point would be these are these are big principled policy debates on which reasonable people can reasonably disagree. And saying that you, you you're going to disallow the other side of the debate uh, from being able to speak is wrong. And at least the guys at Twitter were a bit better on. I'm not. This is small. Um, it's a low hurdle, right? But at least they were a bit better on trying to preserve freedom of speech than the government that was telling them to shut down accounts. Fair. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump back uh, 200 years, shall we? And uh, Terry, can you recap our listeners? So Terry was literally our first guest on the Hidden History Happy Hour almost exactly a year ago today and told the uh, compelling story of his ancestor, Lucy Sutton, and also how he discovered his ancestor, Lucy Sutton. But this this Lucy verse, as I like to call it, has expanded so much since we talked to you last time. Terry, tell us briefly the story of Lucy and then everything you guys are doing about her now. Welcome to the Lucy verse. The uh, Lucy verse. Yeah. So uh, you coined it, so now I'm going to use it forever and ever. But the copyright. Uh, yes. The, the story is that uh, I'd been a trust in the states litigator doing will contests, family disputes, things like that for about a quarter of a century when I discovered that my great, 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 great grandfather, who was a white farmer in Florida, owned my great, 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 great grandmother. But he did a will that set her free along with their eight children and their six grandchildren. This is the 1810s? 1840, 18, 1846 is when he died. Okay. So the will was done in 1846. Um, and the family had to, after he died, uh, find their way um, to try to make it to freedom. But his brother, 
challenged the will uh, after John died and came in and basically said, John was too old, too drunk, and too crazy to have set these people free, you know, this invaluable property. Um, and so he tried to uh, challenge the will to try to keep the family in slavery. And um, I've been unwinding bits and pieces of this story because the universe has brought all these elements together to, to help me be in a position to share how Lucy made her way to freedom with her eight kids and six grandkids and um, the story of the will contest, the challenge that uh, we've been trying to, to tell all over the world. And what I've determined is my mission is to bend the arc of history towards justice by telling this story and other stories like it. Well, I remember when I first heard this story from you and we talked about it a year ago, that when you were figuring out how to write the story when you knew only bits and pieces of it, you 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 said to yourself as a writer and a storyteller, man, we need a villain in this story. We need an adversary. And you, I forget what you named the, the fictional person, but Shadrach is the real person, right? <laughs> he named him Hustis. Yes, right, one, right. One afternoon, Terrence came home from work and uh, he said, I'm, you know, he had been having these mystical experiences when he had just learned about the will, like waking me up at 4.44 in the morning, uh, having a speaking gibberish, and I, he would wake me up, and then he would wake up shortly after. I would say, hey, who are you talking to? And he would say, I don't know. It was John or Lucy. They say there's more to this story. And he said, I'm going to write this story. I'm a trust and estates litigator. I'm going to create a will contest. I'm going to create this evil uncle who's going to try to own my family. And then we get down to look at the will and what happens. There it is. We open the file and the old timey name of Eustace that we chose and turned out to be Shadrach. So yeah, Shadrach. That's, that's amazing. So you put the story out there in the world. I know that you have a podcast. We'll put this in the show notes where you talk about it, but it's expanded into multimedia, right? Since then. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, truly the mission is to tell the story as widely as I possibly can. And so I've had a chance to share it on places like this podcast, a bunch of other podcasts. And then I had a great opportunity, thanks to uh, a producer of this show who helped introduce me to the uh, TEDx Davenport folk. Um, and I actually got a chance to do a podcast, a, um, a TED talk, a TEDx talk last summer. Uh, bending the arc of history towards justice. So we traveled out to uh, I to uh, Davenport, Iowa, and spent a couple, lovely couple of days there. My parents drove in three hours from Chicago, and nice. a great crowd showed up. So I've been sharing that uh, that podcast, the uh, TED Talk, wherever I can. But we also were approached by a friend who works with the Oakland Symphony Chorus. Uh, she's one of the development people, and she told she knew about the Lucy story. And she'd been trying to think of creative ways to uh, support and invest uh, in it. And as it turns out, the, uh, the Oakland Symphony Chorus was willing to basically commission us to create a musical piece. And so we have working together with Jeffrey, my husband, who's a singer songwriter and uh, a great musical director, uh, Ringo Maestro, um, who has long history with um, R&B uh, groups and gospel. Church music too uh, as well. Yeah. Amazing. Um, we put together uh, this Lucy Sutton suite, and we call it uh, a truth telling in four parts. And um, it's about a 20 minute piece. Uh, we haven't figured out exactly when it's going to be performed by the chorus, but we're very excited because it's been, for me at least, to create a musical. Of course, yeah. It's amazing. Well, 
That sounds amazing. And uh, as I think you know, Terry, uh, my, I have two daughters that are deeply into musical theater. And so I have been dragged to more musical theater performances than I can uh, care to remember. And as a professional drummer, I always enjoy it. But, you know, to get the most pure, unadulterated version of the song, I think you just want the spoken word. So I'm hoping that we can persuade you and Jeffrey to give us a little bit of the Lucy verse spoken word piece. And if you want to set this up, go ahead and let's hear it. All right. Well, we're going to ask for your indulgence because we weren't fully prepared for a full-blown rehearsed performance. We but, like our ambushes here. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take your ambush and we'll try to raise you. Um, but they, like to talk about the, the yeah, pieces, they, we, how, well, they, how they relate? Yeah, basically there's four pieces to the, uh, four movements to the suite. Uh, the first is a dragonfly song, which is sort of a call to the ancestors and a uh, uh, a prayer from the ancestors for enlightenment for our descendants yet to come. That's our opening theme today, guys. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, and then the second piece is um, um, <laughs> uh, a different one. It's yes. The second piece is actually part of the will contest. It's a closing argument for love, uh, and it's presented from the voice of the lawyer who is trying to understand what is this arrangement and what is it that Lucy could do. The third piece is the uh, Lucy's Lament, in which Lucy, whose voice was specifically and legally disregarded in the original yes. transcript of the file, is given a voice and a mm -hmm. chance to express herself. And the fourth piece is called Testify, which was based actually on a song that Jeffrey had written some years ago um, that um, really gives a chance for a final call to action for each of us to do something in our lives to personally uh, take charge and responsibility. So well, let's hear it, guys. Do you want to? Um... When I was in darkness, you held out a hand, lifted me higher so I'd understand what I called a mountain was only a hill. I could get over by using my will. I'ma testify he, he, to love. I'ma testify he, he, to love. I'ma testify he, he, to love. I'm never gonna lie. To love, I'm gonna testify. Ready? Um, hard times come, the journey is tough. When there is no diamond within all the rough, we sow the seeds of happy in our deepest hurt and pain and muster, muster our forces to rise up again. again. I'ma testify he, he, to love. I'ma testify he, 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 to love. I'ma testify he, 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 to love. I'm never gonna lie. To love, I'm gonna testify. 
So love I'm gonna testify, testify, testify. So love I'm gonna testify, testify, testify. So love I'm gonna testify, testify, testify. To love, I ain't never gonna lie. No, no. To love I'm gonna testify. Bravo, bravo. There's a, a little rap in there that Terry has. Yeah, we, so. we, we, we left out the rap, but if you... Go for it, do a little rap. As to the duration of John's determination to set those Negroes free, Old Sutton told Yale they'd all come from Georgia 100 miles with 400 cows, Florida bound and determined to unbind their bounds of slavery. Under the impression he could secure the manumission of these persons of color here, but only to discover from his sons, his sons, the two older brothers, that the state of Florida, like the state of Georgia, was not a state in which they could enjoy a state of freedom. And as to John's brother who challenged the will, Shadrach who claimed that John had been ill and wandering in his intellect, he lost. Crabtree ordered to pay $28.08 in costs. So now, having heard the evidence presented and the record has been seen, this court must consider what did it all mean? What was Lucy to John and what was he to her? Consider the state of the record herein. It is stipulated and agreed that John Sutton owned Lucy and all her kin and that John never had a proper wife and wife children. But consider the evidence that never came in. What was it that led Lucy to lead her family to freedom? How was it that Lucy could bear to what she born? What was it caused a woman to make a man make a move for freedom? What was it got that will marked by John? What to made a clerk seize one last file to load on a boat in the River St. John to save from the conflagration that time, the great fire of Jacksonville of 1901 that burned everything else from noon sun to sundown, save the probate file of John Sutton so you could hear Lucy's words, disinterred, reemerge from the River Lethe, a phoenix redeemed and birthed from the fire, one woman's disregarded words, undisregarded. What was that? And what was it that brought Lucy to me as I chanted on my knees for enlightenment from my ancestors as to how I could be me and still have my family? Yes, John Sutton owned me is true, but I reckon you could say that in a certain way that I owned him too, leastwise the portion of me that refused to be owned. What was it set me down to write these words I leave behind to those who read it from this moment to 3,000 realms of time beyond? And at last, at last, at last, what will free us all if we can just be brave enough to let it. Wow. Well, I feel very lucky to have heard that. Um, uh, it, it's a pe not what people might have expected to uh, tune into history, Hidden History Happy Hour podcast with Alex and Brian. But my God, uh, we are um, really lucky to have had it. And, and um, this podcast has uh, surpassed itself. I have always believed you know, since I saw, you know, the interest in revolutionary France that wouldn't exist, but amongst some people, but for Les Miserables, yeah. or the interest in the Vietnam War, so significant for people even in our lifetime, but would not have been elevated, but for Miss Saigon. I've always believed in the power of music to um, attract a different audience and to yeah. excite people in a different way. Uh, and to state the obvious, Hamilton has made that abundantly clear for a new generation. But I tell you that I thought that was really quite special. And I'm very glad to have, uh, particularly because of what it means to you, Terry. Um, yeah. But also musically, I thought it was fantastic. So, And to, for you guys just to have hit it cold, a cappella, uh, no music with you. I, I really want to say thank you. I thought that was great. Oh, thank you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. And yeah. hopefully uh, hopefully it'll touch somebody. And 
Oh, I bet you it will. It can will. I ask you, can I, I picked out one thing in as you were, because I didn't know this before from uh, in the rap, you mentioned that um, there was a fire and many of the documents that this would otherwise have been with would have been lost. So there was a, in, in the relevant archive, there was a fire that mean, but this file survived. Yes. The courthouse was burned down. There was a great fire of Jacksonville in 1901 that burned everything else, literally almost from noon until eight o'clock that day. But the story that's been told is that um, you know, after I first saw the documents, I told lawyers who were in Florida and they said, oh, we're going to go to court and get those documents for you. They went and they petitioned the court and the judge who made the decision was a descendant of one of the founding fathers of the city of Jacksonville. Unbelievable. He told the story of how uh, there was a, a court clerk who loaded a bunch of files on a boat in the St. John's River that saved those files from the, uh, from the Great Fire. And I have to believe that this file that I now have, uh, these 48 pages that tell my ancestor's story that was disregarded through history, it survived so we could be here to have this conversation, so we could share this with your listeners. It's amazing, and you know, Fantastic. whatever your beliefs are, you it's hard to deny that there's something operating in the universe that we don't understand and that is uh, stronger than all of us. But, you know, to that end, what's next for Lucy's story? Part of what we're trying to convey with all of this, with the musical piece and with the, the piece that we're working on with the people at Lionsgate, um, is to spark people who live today their imagination that they can do something today that can make a difference 170 years in the future. Yeah, yeah. Right. And what you do today has an impact 170 years in the future. So yeah. to get people be to spark their imagination and get them to be maybe a little more mindful. Well, I look forward to seeing this on stage one day, uh, and I'm I'm sure that I will. Um, interestingly, your story, of course, has another quiet hero. Um, I, I told in um, in Lessons from History too. I told the story of the the librarian who saved the manuscript copy of the Brandenburg Concertos. The quiet hero in your story is the librarian who saved the uh, the manuscript, because otherwise you wouldn't know the some of these this, facts this, you just wouldn't have, would you? This, law clerk, this court clerk said, oh, I've got to get these files. The city's burning. We would, you know, we wouldn't know. Uh, and, and without my great aunt turning 100, which is what inspired me to go on this search for these documents too. So each person played a role, and that's one of the points that I make in the TED but, Talk. Ask yourself this guy, and I, by the way, I'm going to go away and listen to that TED talk again with a new musical uh, lens. Yeah, and we'll put mind. that in the show notes. Ask yourself this, and it may make an, a neat epilogue or something to mention in the program when you guys uh, are on stage with this. Think of the stories that cannot be told because those files weren't saved. For everyone yeah. that it, for everyone that can be told, there is a tantalizing lost story because when that clerk say clerk saved those files it wasn't able that person wasn't able to distinguish one from another and there may have been there may be great stories uh almost as good as yours that that are now lost to us because of uh the fire in 1901 so guys this is it's it's very moving it's it's uh provocative in the sense that alex mentioned of how many stories aren't told what are some other ways that you're trying to tell the story and you're trying to go around the country and make people aware as you're saying the uh, oakland symphony chorus was going to be doing this tour um uh, and i think they still have plans for this freedom tour that stops at different points including the um Memorial for Peace and Justice uh, in Alabama, and it was going to go to Atlanta and DC as well. 
Um, I think they're still trying to put that together. But one of the reasons that this was so inspiring to us is that we were approached to, to work on this commission piece for the Oakland Symphony Chorus uh, at the time when uh, Maestro Michael Morgan uh, was still alive. And we were going to do this. He passed away as we were in the midst of working on it, but he'd always been a person who, he was, he was a groundbreaking black conductor of orchestras who, you know, yeah. put together a national black orchestra. Uh, but then for the Oakland Symphony, he really brought the community in because he thought that was so mm -hmm. fundamentally important. So it was about making music accessible to everybody in the community and then also mm -hmm. expanding the concept of what orchestra music or symphonic music is. Sounds fantastic. You are wise to aim for the community aspect because, of course, any franchise in Oakland only has a ticking time bomb before it's stolen by San Francisco or somebody else. Just like, <laughs> yeah. just like all the sports franchises. It's like being a AAA baseball coach. You know it, that uh, your guy's going to be pulled up or your lady. It's a good up. reference from a Brit, right? It's, you know, it's that's yeah, good well played. Well played. Yeah. Well, it's great to have you guys back. Have you back, Terry? Have our viewers uh, see you and all of your nattiness. And Jeffrey, it's great to have you on our first musical episode next week. By the way, I will be playing the full uh, drum solo from Whiplash on our episode. So <laughs> what a treat to look to forward to. But, uh, I'm not sure I can make that one. I, we haven't agreed when it is yet, but I'm I don't think I can make sure. it. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I can't. And. And ladies and gentlemen, all kidding aside, if you're anywhere near London on 23 February, go on uh, the uh, Evite that's in our show notes, sign up. Alex is going to be signing books. I'm going to be playing a drum solo, probably on, you know, kitchen accoutrement. It's going to be, be great. Terry, Jeffrey, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. And we'll not wait another year to have you on again. And ladies and gentlemen, cheers. 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 Great to be here. Thank you for listening to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for topics, you can find us on Twitter or on our website, hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com. We look forward to joining you next time. Much gratitude to our multi-talented production team of Jeremy Corr, Kate Cruz, and Grace Keller, and to our visionary executive producer, Ivan Williams. And thanks also to our art designer, David Wardle, without whom this podcast would be, well, history. Cheers.